Right, welcome back once more. Um, again, uh, we've got another giant of uh, London black music. Please give it up for Fabio. Okay, we, we've just had Eddie on here talking about going through his pictures. We're talking about the jungle scene and how it happened. Now, one of the things I remember about jungle was it being a pirate radio scene, but the first kind of anarchic pirate radio. And you were on one of the really early ones, weren't you? Yeah, I was on a station called um, Phase One, which was anarchic. It was because I started on that station because... Um, a good friend of mine called Colin Dale, who's a big techno DJ now, he kind of, you know, I've got to give mad love to him because he started me out in kind of everything, my soul funk and all that kind of stuff. And he um, he was meant to do the station because we knew the pirate station owner really well. And he couldn't do it because he started on KISS. KISS started exactly the same time as a pirate station. And they had Giles Peterson on there. They had everyone, all the big dogs were on there. And, and he was like, look, I can't do phase one. And he was like, you got a few tunes. I'm like, well, not really. I said, you know, I've got tunes, but I'm not no radio DJ. And he went, yeah, but come on, man. He said, you need to cover my back here. Because Mendoza, who was the guy who ran the station, he's he's not happy about it. So I said, all right, look, I, I had lots of records. I weren't a DJ. And I remember I had my mum's, um, she used to have this washing basket. <laughs> These plastic, I don't know if they have them anymore. But they were big, huge things with that big zip. And I thought, right, I need to put my records in there because I've got not got a record box. Everyone used to carry crates, but crates would have been difficult. It, it was about half a mile walk. So I carried the bag down there. And um, this is how I got my name as well. So got there, I was really, really nervous. And um, the station, I was like, oh, right, hold on a minute. He was like, um, what? what's your name? And my name's Fitzroy, and I was like, Fitzroy, that name is dead. So I've got to think of I've got to think of something a lot cooler than DJ Fitzroy. It just doesn't didn't ring. And I just quickly, I just remember the girl I was going out with that was Italian, and she was always like, This was in the first week of seeing her. She was like, if we have a kid, let's call it Fabio. And she kind of got dumped a little bit after that. <laughs> I was like, yeah, too soon. And but I remembered. I remembered the name, and I said, Fabio, DJ Fabio. And he just looked at me like, what? What, what kind of name's that? He said, um, he said, nah, bruv, he said, that ain't gonna run. He said, call it Pablo, call yourself Pablo. August, Augustus Pablo, it's kind of like a black name. So I went, yeah, cool, cool, cool. And I was so nervous, first track came on, I just had nosebleeds and everything, and then, he went, you're right, you've got to talk, you've got to talk. And I went, DJ Fabio on phase one. He just looked at me like, what? <laughs> and then I was like, uh, he was, and I, he's, I said, oh, no, all right, I'm going to change it. But I, he went, no, no, you can't change your name. He said, you can't do that after your first tune. So it stuck. That's how I got the name. That's The, the name stuck with me forever. And it, it was just crazy. Um, but, yeah, Pirate Station, that's how anarchic it was. You could change your name within five minutes. But it was just, it, what was great about it, he got an ensemble of guys that he knew that turned out to be, you know, really went on to do better things. Commander Beef, who's a huge reggae DJ, and um, Groove Rider, who I met 
on Pirate Station. I never knew him before. And um, it was really rags the way they did it, but it was, it was fun. It was fun. And that's why, you know, coming on to today's One Extra is trying to be like that. You know, BBC could never be like that, but that's the ethos is to have that same kind of ragamuffin style pirate, pirate well, station. Well, that was an interesting thing because when One Extra happened, it was exactly the same thing that had happened 30 years ago with Radio 1. The, yeah. the pirate ships were cane in it. Everybody yeah. was listening to Caroline or Luxembourg, Luxembourg or whatever, yeah. you know. Mm. And the BBC was seriously embarrassed. So they did exactly the same things. Like, let's throw money at these pirate DJs, tell them they don't have to get in a rowing boat and go out to a ship in stormy weather, give them a load of money, and we'll recreate a pirate vibe. vibe in Broadcasting House, and of course, it kind of won't, you know. Well, well, it's funny you said that, because just before we got the job on Radio 1, about two, three years before that, I remember my agent said to me, I'm going to pitch for a jungle show on Radio 1. And I was like, good luck with that. Because no, this was in the days of Dave Lee Travis, um, Bruno Brooks, it was a very staid... Very, very... This was before One Extra, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, this is... I'm talking about 80... 80 Actual Radio 80 1. S 80... No, 90... 91, 92. So I said, all right, pitched them the idea. And I remember that the, the head of BBC at the time was Matthew Bannister. And um, she sent him a letter saying, look, we've got this idea for a dance music-based show, playing jungle music and stuff like that. And they messaged her back and said... Um, um, Thanks a lot um, for your message. Um, we sat down and thought about it and thought, um, we'll uh, put that on the shelf for a while. And he basically said, no fucking way, basically. But it was strange that then they completely changed a few years later and, you know, gave us the call. But that's a story for another time. Well, the thing was, um, well, I mean, Eddie talked a lot about the club world, the jungle club world. Um, but I really felt that with um, pirates such as Phase One, there was this switch in how pirate radio worked. Then it wasn't people pretending to be Robbie Vincent. It was um, it was much more like a sound system vibe. Was was that what you got from Phase One? Yeah, because the guy that ran Phase One used to run sound systems, so to him he ran it like a like a sound. He had a team. You know, we worked for him. And basically, we didn't. It was very punk because we didn't know what he was doing. He didn't pick DJs from other stations. He picked guys he knew, and then thought, oh, "I'm going to train them," and that's what was great because we didn't know what he was doing. And that's always how the best things are invented because you don't know what you're doing, but then you create some kind of magic. And we just learned, and it, it was just he got this team of guys from the ghetto that had never been on radio before that didn't want to sound like Radio 1 DJs, that didn't want to sound like Robbie Vincent, that was coming on there and talking about, send me your addresses, and you know, just saying things in, in, in a real ragamuffin style, in a street style. We were talking like we talk on the streets. I remember there was a Jamaican um, DJ on there, and I didn't know what he was talking about. I, I couldn't understand him at all. But he was playing tunes, and as long as you could play tunes and you could select your tunes, the rest didn't really matter, which was very anti-radio at the time. Radio weren't about that. Was there many other 
pirates like this at the time? Yeah, there was loads. There was LBC, there was Starpoint, um, and the, the, the whole ethos of Pirate Radio, you've got to remember, what he used to do, he had a, a building that he used to put aerials on. And this was very costly. I mean, it weren't cheap to get the aerials up there. And the police used to play this game, and they used to take it so seriously. But they used to spy on you, for, for like do surveillance for about six months, like they were looking for Noriega or something like that. So, and then they used to get a prime moment, and they used to raid the building. So you've got to remember as well, our livelihood was at stake as well, because you know if they raided the building and you were in there, you was getting nicked. So the whole thing was, you know, it was it was very dangerous. But that's you know, we was we was kids. We loved that. You know, we was from Brixton, and we just thought that was cool. If the police come, we'll jump out the window and run off somewhere. So it was, you know, th there was the element of danger. Did you at any point? I mean, I felt um, when I was on DBC, one of the the original Black Pirate, and we had as our ethos, we never wanted to be legal. We weren't going to try to be legal because we knew we'd have to present ourselves in a certain way to prove we could be legal. But we thought, well, there's no point. They're not going to make us legal anyway. No, but that's the great thing about Gordon Mack, what he did with Kiss. He, you've got to remember, Kiss was a pirate station. And he had this vision to go legal. But you're right. I mean, Mendoza never thought about being legal. He didn't even, I don't think he even thought about it because he just thought there's no way it's going to happen. Um, this, you, you could apply for licenses, but they'd give it to regional stations and safe stations. They're not going to give it stations where they know that man sitting down bunning weed in there and, and talking just randomly. They're not going to give it to people like that. And, and that's what, you know, that's the whole thing. That's what, that was a fun element. There was no rules. He did used to say, you can't, you can't smoke in there, which we thought was so kind of... Um, we was like, w what are you, like a black Hitler? What do you mean we can't smoke in here? And he used to have rules. He did used to try and have rules because he had to. Because even though you've got to have anarchy, you've got to have a method as well. You can't just let people just come in there. You know, you couldn't bring your friends in there. And, you know, he did have certain rules, which was really cool. But he was a lot older than us. And he treated us like his kids. And he, he was a wonderful man. And it was a team. You know, we used to have meetings every week. And so... Although it was very punk, it was quite organised as well, you know, and, and that, that, that was a good thing. And, you know, I've got to give mad respect to that guy, man. Well, I suppose that's the sound system thing. I mean, sound systems might have looked a bit like that, but they were actually Absolutely. rigidly yeah. structured, you know. It's like yeah. Tony Soprano's Matthew or something. They're right. So well structured, you know. But did the music develop on Pirates? What, 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 what music? General, did it? No, not really. Not well. It didn't start on pirates. I think what happened with Jungle when Jungle was in its infancy, the only people that would play it were people on Pirate Station. You know, there's no way you'd get a tune played on Radio One or or Capital or anything like that. So the Pirate Stations took it up, and you know, uh, and they made Jungle that real underground. You know, Cool FM was doing their thing, Centre Force and radio stations like that, they were really pioneering what we were doing. Um, but there was there was no... With Jungle, we didn't want Jungle to be... We didn't want to be on top of the pops. I remember a good friend of mine called Chris Paul um, made a track 
called Different Strokes, got that got in the top twenty. And he was like to me in Groove Rider, like he went, oh, I want you to come on top of the pops with me. And he was like, What? You you being serious? Top of the pops? And he really thought we was gonna be excited about it. He was like, nah, 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 I don't know. I, I ain't going on top of the pops, that ain't gonna happen. He was like, Really? He went, This is my dream, this is what I've always wanted. I went, nah, 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 but my friends would just take the piss out of me. I'm not going on there. So yeah, that's that was the thing. We didn't ever want to be corporate. We didn't we didn't even think about those things. We just wanted to be us and just doing our thing. And but that's because we, we were young, you know. When you get older, it's different. There's no kids, just running around, doing your thing. But then you know, there was a there was a period uh, when it seemed like every other tune in the top twenty was a jungle tune. But yeah, but that's when the record companies got hold of it, which was you know about five years after, and they you know they did the record company thing of falling in love with it, taking it. And um, and 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 turn it in, turning it into p trying to turn it into pop music, and in the nineties it that couldn't work because it was too rough around the edges, jungle, and they they figured that out quite quickly and dropped everyone, but they it's too rough around the edges. You couldn't really smooth it out. If you did, you'd lose that 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 thing. And and you know these guys. Another thing you got to remember: these guys were brought up jungle. You know, no one knew what they were doing. You listen to some of the tunes now, and they're so out of key. And out of time, the breaks are all over the place, and you can't. It's very difficult to mix. But that's that's what was cool because these were guys that didn't know anything about music. They were going on a vibe. It was kind of like we don't care if this is in time, and it sounds good. So you listen to a lot of the old jungle tunes. This shit, they're all over the place. That, that's what I find really interesting about this as it happened. It wasn't made by people who didn't know how to make music. It was made by people who didn't care how to make music. Yeah, well, that's just like what punk was like. You know, punk was like, those guys were just really anti-disco and the, 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 the clean sound of disco and just decided we don't even know what we're doing, but we're just going to go, we make this noise and it sounds good and, and we're going to run with it. And Jungle was the first thing after punk that did that, was these guys that just thought we're making these sounds and we like how it sounds. And we're going to run with it. When um, it was on Pirates, I mean, Pirates were big in London, especially. Is that what? I suppose you've got it on a radio station, any radio station. You've got no idea who's listening to it. And you've got college kids listening to it, school kids, and all sorts. Yeah, but, you know, uh, the, the, the thing is about Pirate. Pirate, where it's not relevant so much now is because all stations are trying to be like pirate stations. So it's lost that kind of real relevance. But, you know, in the 90s, it really was. It's just like when I was growing up, I used to be a soul boy. And the only way I could hear soul music that I wanted to hear, not the stylistics and the shy lights, was listening to Radio Luxembourg. And I used to have a radio. And I always remember I used to put the radio under my pillow and listen to this guy called Emperor Roscoe. He used to have this show that used to come on at 10 o'clock and he used to it used to be the Billboard 1200 Soul Tunes. And I used to listen to it as long as I could every single Sunday night and used to make sure my mum couldn't hear the radio. And um, I, I, I used to go to school on Monday feeling like I was on a come down because I'd just been listening to the station of getting up 6 o'clock, listening to it until 4 o'clock in the morning every single Sunday night. And that was the only way I could hear... George Clinton and, and, and all the funk stuff I wanted to hear. And it's the same with Jungle. It was the only 
outlet for jungle was pirate pirate station. So every, it weren't just ghetto kids, you know. You used to get everyone used to. Well, that's. I mean, I would imagine that that fed into Radio One changing their minds about you and Groove Rider. Well, well, it did because we was on Kiss. When Kiss got legal, we was on Kiss, and our drum and bass show was really doing well. I mean, it it was it, we had great figures. You know, we won numerous awards, and a guy from um, that used to be on Kiss Our Producer, a guy called Wilbur Wilberforce, um, he got headhunted to Radio One, and they did a thing called One in the Jungle, which was the first jungle shows. Um, so they wanted it to be ghetto, and they wanted it to be street. It was the first street thing Radio One ever did, but the the, the breaking point was once when they came in and they had a jungle showdown with all the MCs and um, they stole the decks <laughs> <laughs> and the mixer. So <laughs> Radio One, <laughs> Radio One was like, and I was like, well, you know, you wanted it to be street, and you know, it's just, you know, not being funny, you know, this happens every now and again. So they were really against. They were like, right, that whole jungle thing, we're not going to do it. And Wilbur. Um, gave us a pilot and the first pilot was with Goldie it was me Groove and Goldie and that just didn't work at all because Goldie just talked and we just listened to him and went yeah every now and again and it was just it was just too much and they turned around and said look we really like it but all three of you on at the same time doesn't quite work so they got me and Groove Rider in there and um we just couldn't believe that we was on Radio 1 it was just it was a mad thing it was a real you know, because we just thought Radio 1 was this staid, boring station. And, but, you know, it changed. And, 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 you know, we were there at a great time. It was a great time to, to, to be on Radio 1. Also, you were championed by John Peel and uh, Marianne Hobbs, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. John Peel. Um, strangely, really loved my voice. <laughs> he loved my voice. And I remember him saying he wanted me to do a guest show for him um just uh, unfortunately just before he passed uh that never happened but that would have been that would have been a real highlight of my career because that guy was amazing you know john peel he actually he played early jungle tunes um he used to hit us up and we used to send him stuff all the ib for record stuff everything and he you know john peel was john peel that guy was so clued up i don't think there's no one even close to him what he did on radio anywhere and um so yeah john peel did play jungle tunes on radio one was it when you were put on radio one um was it difficult to maintain the balance of what you had to be and what no because w when when we was on radio one first of all radio one was different it was a lot more you could get away with a lot more and um it was um it was quite unorganized it was it was quite rags and we used to know a few producers there and they used to just let us get away with murder i don't know if it's because they thought these guys are junglists and they're going to come in late and they're going to swear every now and again but they did let us get away with stuff that they wouldn't really let anyone else get away with which was great because um, we really in the end start to take the piss because I remember there was a guy who came on called Danny, Danny C. He was a producer that I was kind of like bringing through. 
but he, he it's like I think he had Tourette's because he really could he, he really could not stop swearing. So he came on the show and he every other word was effing this, effing that. And I had to say to him, I went, Danny, and I said this live on air, which was a cardinal scene, you don't do this. I went, Danny, calm down with the swearing. And he went, what's Radio 1 going to fucking do? Are they going to fucking sue me? And I just thought, oh, my God. <laughs> so, but you could get away with things like that. Um, the change came when uh, that whole thing happened with Jonathan Ross. And uh, he phoned up Andrew Sachs' daughter, and that changed everything. Because the next day, everyone was called in, and we were like, things are going to change around here. And there was so much regulations and red tape after that. That took away all the fun. But until then, we could basically do what we wanted to do. That was difficult. Because once I... I um, I remember we were doing a radio, there was going to be a radio one. Uh, they did these live events every now and again. And Madonna was going to do it. And I, I said, um, Madge, I called her Madge. And I listened back to the show and they edit, I didn't hear it. And so I said to my, my, my producer, I'm like, you, half the show's gone. And he went, yeah, but you kept saying Madge. You know, you, you can't call her Madge anymore. What do you think Madonna's going to be listening to my show? I said, the producer, no one even, the, one of the reasons why we was on radio one that long, th they forgot we were there. <laughs> they just completely forgot for about six years that we were there, we was even there. Because we never used to turn up to any of the meetings. You know, we never used to do anything like that. So they just forgot and they never moved our slot. And then when they recognised we were there, they moved our slot to like five o'clock in the morning. So, um, yeah, but we did get away with a lot, which... Um, I was grateful for. When the red tape came in, it really changed a lot of things. And up to this day, I think that you can still hear is very regulated now. Well, yeah, oh, that's what I was going to ask you next, is what do you think of radio now, you know, with one extra um, whatnot? Yeah, I think, I think mainstream radio is... Uh, I think one thing they've taken away is the personalities. I think now they're so... Um, worried about what you're going to say and what you're going to do and there's so much red tape that it's I remember even just before we left uh, our producer came and went look can you cut down the talking and I went yeah that's part of what we do and he was like yeah but you know we really want to kind of minimalize what you're doing more more music less chat which was bizarre it's like well people love the banner that we have on the radio so it was going that way and I think nowadays there's not so much personalities on there um, but, you know, there are, d d there are stations, there are DJs, you know, Benji B, I think, is great, and there are DJs that I still like on the radio, but I think radio is very stale, and I think it's, it's facing extinction in the, in the, you know, in the internet era, you know, the social media era. I think radio, as it is, mainstream radio, is, is, is going to have major problems over the next few years. Any moves you can do to uh, head that off, or...? No, I'm on rinse FM, so I'm, I'm calm. I'm good, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm on rinse. They, we love it over there. It's, it's, you know, they let us do what we want to do. So I don't really give a shit about mainstream radio, really. And, but I don't, really, because I don't think mainstream radio matters to kids. My daughters listen to... They've got Spotify playlists and things like that. That's what they're all about. And radio is breaking new music. I don't really think it... You know, my daughter listens to Drill. 
which is the most aggressive music you'll ever hear. And she, play, she played me some stuff the other day, and I was like, really? It's gangs fighting each other and, and calling each other out on, 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 on track. But that's underground. And, you know, as much as I can turn around and go, oh, well, no, that's, you know, but, you know, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. Just like Jungle was dangerous. Just like Punk was. Everyone was scared of Punk. I remember as a soul boy going down to a club, 100 Club, and we used to run out of the club because there was a punk, there was a punk thing going on after and we used to run out the club at 10-2 so we didn't see punk rockets because we were terrified of them. And so, you know, the music was terrifying. And it was a narc, it was mad. And, you know, and that's what, you know, the kids are listening to now. They're, they're, they're finding out for themselves. They're not, they don't need radio anymore, really. And it's, it's kind of sad. Okay, has anybody got any questions for um, Fabio? You must have. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> you saved the day. Right. Um, so, yeah, the, the first track I'm going to play is a track um, going back to my sound, sound system days when I used to follow sound systems. And, you know, this thing's called Bass in the City. So I brought along a track with the, the heaviest bass line in history. And, and it's a sound, it really is. If you talk to most sound system guys and you... Or most guys, even in drum and bassing, you say, what is your favourite dub tune? It's normally this tune. It's called um, Prophecy by um, Fabian, and it came out on uh, um, Coxon's label, and Black of Dread brought it out. And it's, it's to this day, it's, it's just, this is just sound system heaven. Yeah?
Yeah, them speakers didn't really do that to you justice. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man, that's that's from my um the days when I used to go listen to sound systems and creep out the house and go to Brixton Town Hall and and you know listen to Shucker and and Sakoxin and you know it's th them sounds were so important to to everything that's going on now. Everything. Okay, well if that baseline didn't shake any questions loose. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's give it up. Oh, hang on. One right. minute. About the UK, about the UK radio stations, uh, and there were mentions of uh, radio stations and uh, personalities in, in the States, such as New York. What would you say was the cross-influence there? What with the with the stations in New York? Yes. Yeah, well, you know, we did used to listen to um, the first mixes that we ever heard were from, we used to get it from Kiss FM in New York. We used to listen to that stuff in the late 70s, early 80s. And, and those guys were mixing and we didn't even really understand how they were doing all this stuff. So, yeah, you know, there was a kind of cross-pollination between the two. Um, but it was just, you know, you've got to remember in them days it was so difficult to, to have any kind of links with outside. You know, everything, that's why everything was so centralised because it was even different to get difficult to get tunes from America. The only certain shops would sell, you know, American imports and stuff like that. So the people don't know how lucky they are nowadays, how easy it is to access stuff and how difficult it was to access anything back in the day. So we used to get tapes of Kiss FM in America and stuff like that, but that was that was about it. It's really difficult. I mean, it can be done because of it, it's so easy now to set up a station because of the internet. Um, I just think you just got to get a good team of, of, of people together. And, and what do you want to do, grassroots radio? It's really difficult. There are so many stations, and I just think now it's 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 a lot more difficult in, in that respect because I think before it was it was kind of, but then again, pirate radio was very difficult because you'd have to find someone with a mast and engineers and stuff like that. So I just think at the end of the day, I know this sounds like a cliche. If you really believe in it, and you've got to get a good team team together, though, that's the most important thing. Get good people around you and people that you can trust. And then, and just try and move on from there. I think nowadays you don't even even have to be that big. You just be happy it doing what you're doing. And, and if you can get enough finance to carry on doing it, then it's then it's all good. Oh, everyone's putting up their hands now, yeah. And I'm looking to go home. What are you not doing? <laughs> yeah, go on. Can I? Um, I just had a question. To what when um, the sort of jungle scene 
was growing as it was, to what extent was it like competitive amongst the DJs and the stations and how much was there a sense of a collective or was it competitive and was it a bit of a balance? It, it was a bit of a balance. It was a bit of both because what used to happen was Music House used to happen and, and you know, people used to go down there and, and cut tunes and we used to go down there. It was like school. Like everyone used to be there. You know, all the DJs that really meant anything were there because, you know, these, these things cost money and you had to cut X amount of dubs would cost you four or five hundred pounds back in the day. You know, that's even when we were working loads, that was a lot of money. Do you know what I'm saying? So but there was this great competitive age because you had so much different guys. You know, you had Dillinger when he was starting out. You had Fotec, you had Peche, you had all of these guys that Ed Rush and they were making these amazing tunes that everyone used to hear you used to think they had the baddest tune. And then someone used to come along and, and it used to be like, all right, back to square one. And it was like that every single day. And I used to get tunes and what, what was happening were the tunes were getting better and better because of the competition. And it was like who could draw the best tunes because that was it was much more of a dub plate culture then. It was competitive, but in a very friendly way. And, you know, I remember the first time I played Pulp Fiction I had it from this guy, Alex Reese, and Goldie wanted to sign it. And he gave it to me. And I was just like, wow, this tune's it's, it's dope. But I don't know if I can get away with playing this tune. I, you know, because you've got to remember, the first time you hear tunes like that, you don't know, you're not sure how it's going to go down. You know, all the great jungle classics, we thought that. So I remember I was at a place called Voodoo Magic, and I was on after DJ Ron. And he was killing it. And I was playing much more of a soulful, liquid kind of vibe. And I came on and just the place died. And I'm sure I heard DJs grinning behind me. I don't know if that was paranoia. So I thought, right, I've got one tune that is so different. No one's ever heard this tune before. This is a massive risk. Because if this bombs, I'm gonna, it's going to be the walk of shame out of here. So I had it and I was like, should I play it? Should I, should, should I play it? It didn't even have a name. And I put it on. And um, there was just silence. And it's one of the first times where even the crowd didn't really know how to react until the middle of the tune. And everyone was kind of like, oh, this tune. And then Mickey Finn came over and rewound it. And then the tune got rewound seven times. <laughs> so I, I played it until the end of my set. Because like everyone, everyone, I was thinking, all right, there's like a line of people. It's like, I, can't, I need to DJ now. But, you know, this, I was dying to this, like, the, my peers just queuing up to ask me about this tune. And that, that was, you know, one of the great things about the scene. If you had a tune like that, you know what I'm saying? You, you, you know, uh, after that, I mean, no one even remembered the rest of my set was kind of shit. <laughs> e everyone just remembers, oh, I remember Pulp Fiction, man. That tune, you killed it. You know, it, it that saved my ass that day, that tune, man. <laughs> saved my ass. Right, last question then. Is there a change, and if so, what is the change you feel? This is a bit of a conceptual question. In the way your music is received in the crowd to now being super established and 
doing massive festivals and stuff. Then when, let's say, when I was coming to your weekly nights at Swerve, addicted to this edgy, cool underground sound, drawing you in on a weekly basis. Yeah. Now, when you play to the new generations who come in, is, do you feel a change energy-wise or? Not really. Uh, do you know what the biggest change was? The biggest change was actually the smoking ban. Because now you get, you play a bad tune, everyone starts going, you want a fag? And the whole dance floor just clears. Before, and th that's the truth, seriously, the first week of the smoking ban, I did Swerve and I played one tune and I cleared the dance floor. And I looked around and I was like, that's never happened before. This tune's not that bad. What is going on? And, 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 and I remember Sarah, who was running the night, she came and she went, there's 200 people in the smoking area. And I was like, what? And I looked out, I peered out, and everyone was just kind of like tapping their feet. I was like, what is this? Get your asses back in here. And then they came back for the last half hour. And, and seriously, I know people don't think it's, that's a big deal, that you do get that now. And that does slightly kill the energy. Because you've got to remember before, everyone used to be smoking. Everyone used to smoke on the dance floor. And it's hard to even imagine that happened. But the energy's not different really because you know we sometimes we look at the past with rose tinted spe spectacles and think oh it was better and it because some kids gonna go out tonight and it's gonna change their lives just like it changed everyone in here it's gonna happen to them someone tonight and they're gonna feel exactly the same way even if you feel it's changed it hasn't and also there's a real Everyone's going back to the root now, so the jungle's coming back because Mixmag said it was coming back. <laughs> but it's never went anywhere. You know, Mixmag do things like that. really piss me off sometimes. <laughs> but, you know, um, so now there's this thing, jungle is coming back. You know, but it, the great thing is the kids are getting into jungle again and they're getting into what we were doing back in the day and they're getting into this kind of punk approach to drum and bass because there was a time it went too technical and and too clean and it got a bit sterile. But that rough edge is coming back. Nights like Rapture in um, Corsica Studio, which you walk in there and it's like walking back into 1991. It really, really is. And so those nights are coming back and the kids are getting into it. So, you know, I think one thing people, and I spoke to one of your colleagues and it is true, drum and bass has never got the recognition it deserved. This music has been around for 27 years through its various guises, whether people have liked what it's done or not. And it's been around, it's, it's kind of self-funded. You know, all the guys out there all do day jobs nowadays because you can't make money out of music. And it's still going and it's still huge. You know, I get messages, letters from um, Panama and places like that. I go to, um, I went to Korea last year and this Korean guy, came up to me and went, I used to listen to your radio shows. And I was like, you can't even speak English. <laughs> like, you listen to my radio show, you used to listen to them. And he said it in this broken English. I was like, is this guy for real? And he did. And, you know, the thing is, it, it's, it's always going to be here. And it deserves the recognition for fighting off record companies and corporate moments and you know, moments where everyone said it was dead, when Garage came around, everyone was like, you lot going to have to find it, go back to a day job. You know, dubstep happened, everyone said the same thing, and, and it just keeps doing its thing. And whether you like it or not, it's going to carry on without you. And you can have the nostalgia of going to jungle nights, but drum and bass is just going to go, and it's going to carry on.
and it doesn't care if you come with it or not because it's going to do its thing. And it, it, it needs to be respected for that. And I think people have got to understand this is British music, you know, this is music made by kids, you know, in, in tower blocks and stuff like that. And now there's DJs earning 25 grand per hour. And I think those guys need to remember the roots of this shit and, and not forget that, you know, this wasn't made by Americans and it wasn't made by record companies. This was made by ghetto kids. And, you know, long live drum and bass. Okay, we've got a quarter of an hour now, and then we're coming back just after seven o'clock with Congo Natty. So, see you all then. Some man say marijuana 